Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Ruth Rothier. <laughs> Rosa Clothier. I'm sorry, Ruth. We say your name. <laughs> Russo Clothier. It's Ruth. For, yeah. Thank you, Ruth. <laughs> and uh, you've had three near-death experiences, a lot of spiritual experiences, and yeah. I'm going to let you take the floor. Okay. All right. Thank you. I would like to say hello to everyone, and it's um share my journey with you i had in my first death experience was at 16 and a half months old and i it's it's kind of hard for me to talk about some of these when i was a child i had radiation when i was 16 and a half months old for growth on my spine and my back and my shoulder blades and they um blasted it with radiation that's what i call it back in the late 40s and 50s they just put radiation right on your spine. And it was about a circle about this big. I have a scar tissue. I have a complete one right down to the bone where they put it. My mother held me. And before I knew it, I was gone. And they knew there were complications. I never got the information of what exactly it was, but I know that it was. And I went back to exactly, exactly what I knew when before I was born. And I never, ever, ever forgot it. It was something that I knew that I was connected, that the God creation was was with me or within me. It, it was amazing. If, you know, everyone asks me, how do you know this? How do you know this? You know, um, but it was it was interesting because what they did was they had your mother hold you. And if anyone looks up a radiation back in those days, everyone's usually dead by the time they're my age. Um, it brings in a lot of complications, cancer, and a lot of things happened to people. Um, but my mom held me and I went over and I was engulfed with love beyond anything. And I never, ever forgot it. I mean, it was just absolutely, I was home. I guess that's the way that I, I interpreted it. I was home. And then all of a sudden, whew, Ruth was back and it was extreme. It, extremely pain I, I i just for some reason i know that that was the way it was and um it's it's funny because like i said people ask me how do you how do you know how do you know that you went over there and i guess each time that i see a child i see a little tiny child and i see the sparkles in their eyes when they're born and they look at you but they can't really see and they can't hear all the way but they're still connected to that realm of existence and i guess that's what i experienced and what i know is true and um so it was there were years of um transpersonal experiences when i was a child i was a person who could sense things i could see dead people you know, I mean, just a lot of lot of different things. But there was six times within the hospital I was hospitalized when I was a child. I had um, heart complications. I didn't ride a bicycle until I was 13 years old. I couldn't be in any gym. I, you know, they thought Ruth was going to die. So it was constant. And at eight years old, I had an experience that I I got very 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 ill, and my parents. We had just moved away about an hour and a half away from the doctor and we drove down and when I went to go and get out of the car, I passed out and I landed on the on the sidewalk and then I did not 
come to for about a day and a half. Um, and that was, uh, I think it was the next day. What had happened was my parents, there was a flood and a hurricane and my parents had to go back home after they got to the hospital, got me into the hospital. I was in an oxygen tent, a mist tent. Um, I had, like I said, allergic reaction to black mold. And I was laying in, in, the, in, the, in this tent and um, I had IVs and, and they were very concerned. My parents had to go back home because my brother was there and they didn't really think that the hurricane would hit inland that far. So they drove back home and before they knew it, the hurricane got very, very bad. The winds, the Connecticut River flooded, uh, knocked down, knocked out bridges and they couldn't get across. So I was in the hospital for about three and a half days or a little bit more without them. And um, the nurse came up to me the day of the flood really hit and the power was out in the hospital. And she said, Ruth, she said, your parents could not get back because there's a big storm and a big hurricane. And she said, but they will be back here soon. We'll be, we'll, we'll be with you. And it was, it was very beautiful, you know, what she said, said to me, but of course, Ruth wasn't really conscious most of the time. What had happened was I would go in and out of consciousness, but mostly out of consciousness. And I guess now I really understand because I, I had years I never told anyone about this story because it was it was frightening to it was it was something that I didn't understand what I had what I had seen. But I went into a dark space. I went into the void, and. I remember and I hear people talking about, you know, the void or the black or whatever, and it's horrifying. But to me, it was absolute the embrace of warmth, comfort, um, compassion. Uh, it was it was it was a space and time where I laid there for days in and out of consciousness. And the only thing that I could see was this tiny white light that would just come through tiny, tiny, tiny light that would shine and I would just lay there. And um, while I was laying there, I could I could hear the things in the hospital. I could, there was a young boy that was playing, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, don't take my sunshine away, constantly had a little player and he just kept on playing that song. And I'll, I don't know if it's because I went in and out of consciousness that I, I thought he'd never shut it off. But um, so, Anyway, days went on and I was laying there and my father, my mother and father came in and my dad was sitting in the chair next to me and he grabbed a hold of my hand and he sang that song to me. And I don't know how long it took, but I came to and he, he was just, you know, he kissed me and he just said, come back, please. And, um, and I, I don't know how how often I know I was in a hospital for quite a while because when I woke up I knew the IVs were put in my legs because they couldn't put them in my arms because my arms had my veins had collapsed and so my legs were all bloated and they kept me in the oxygen and the steam tent for quite a while I was told to never go in a basement again where there was black mold um, and so. I guess what I would say to you is, is through these two experiences, I realize how 
powerful children's, no matter what their experiences are, how powerful they are and how they influence their adult life. And I would have to say that this set the groundwork for everything else that happened in my life. Um, I've had, I had my second death experience when I was 20 years old. I was seven months pregnant for my son. And I went to a cardiologist's office to have an electrocardiogram. They wanted the electrocardiogram taken just to see, you know, because I was going to have a baby and they, they wanted to make sure. So I went in, no problem. I had had so many. I mean, you know, you don't really worry about them when you, when you have had them before. So I went in and I, um, and I laid down on the table and he set the whole thing up, Dr. Ellensworth. And he said, Ruth, I'm going to start this. And I said, okay. And I don't know how far into it it was, but I started losing my hearing. I couldn't hear. I, I mean, I couldn't hear very well and I was getting very dizzy. And he said, Ruth, he said, you're laying down. I said, I know I'm laying down. I said, you and I both know I'm laying down, but that doesn't matter. I'm getting dizzy and I'm going to pass out. So he sat me up and he said, get back your composure, take some breaths and just get back your composure. When you feel comfortable, we'll lay you back down and we'll start the electrocardiogram again. I said, okay. So I fine, finally, he laid me back down, he started it up and it wasn't very long. And Ruth's hearing completely went. I could, I was, I was, I didn't know about death experiences and any of this. So, I remember seeing him fiddling around with the machine. He got an epinephrine shot, gave it to me, and it did not react the way that they wanted it to. And so the ambulance was called and we were just across the street, luckily. And they came in, I could see the ambulance stretcher and I'm talking to them. My husband's out in the waiting room, you know, nobody's talking to me, you know, it's as if I don't exist. And now I realize that I really wasn't alive. And so, I mean, I wasn't completely here. And so they brought me into the hospital. I don't remember that entry. I don't know how long it took for me to become conscious again, but I woke up to my gynecologist standing there next to me. And he said, Ruth, take a hold of my hands, hold on to my hands. And he said, I'm gonna pull you over to your side. I'm gonna put pillows behind you. And if Abraham Lincoln comes back from the dead, do not roll over. I know what happened to you. The baby more than likely cut off your main artery. So he said, I just listened to the fetal heartbeat. It sounds perfectly fine. I am not concerned, was his comment. I am not concerned. But he said, there are five cardiologists in this hospital right now to have a consultation with Dr. Illingsworth and me. So I am going to explain to them my theory on this and what happened. And he said, they're gonna explain their theory. And he said, I don't want to scare you, but they, they're very, very concerned about your heart. So he said, just relax, stay centered, and, um, and we'll see what happens. Well, let me explain to you what happened when I was over, okay? Um, when I went over, I was holding on to my stomach. I, I felt as though, my, must have been my spirit, was holding on to my stomach, embracing my child, because I did not want to die. 
I, I wanted, I didn't want to have a heart condition. I, I wanted everything to be fine. And I held on to him. And at the same time, I got to know him. I got to, I got to experience his energy. And at the same time as doing this, I was over. I mean, I went completely over, was encompassed with complete light, complete embrace of absolute love. I, I know that other people say that I, I can't tell you how phenomenal it was. And, but I was told two things. And that was that I could come back and follow the fear because there would be fear. And I could see that. And I was told you can go back and follow the fear and you will follow. And what I could see was a destiny of heart specialists and everybody looking at everything and all these things going on and, or, I could hold absolute divine love and come back. And when the fear would come in to say the words, just the word love. And so I did. I spent seven days in the hospital, five days on IV. And they, when I came to in upstairs, when I was really awake, um, they were talking out in the waiting in, in, on the nurse's station. My parents were waiting to come and see me and in walked a priest. And I looked at him and I said, do you think I'm going to die? And he said, he's, he wouldn't answer me. He just, he was blown away. And so he said, I said to him, I said, I really don't want to be rude, but right now I am really planning on having a baby in two months and you're making me very frightened. So if I get any idea that I'm going to die, you will be called right away. But I, please, please leave. It's nothing to do with you personally, but you're really frightening me. And so I, um, he left, my parents came in, blubbery eyed and everything, because they had heard the nurses out at the nursing station telling everyone that they had to roll me over every 15 minutes, take my feet a heartbeat, and they expected to do a C-section in the night, no matter if I died or not and that that they um they did not expect me to live they they were convinced that i was going to die and so i wish i had a tape recorder to say out loud how many times i said the word love and i'm telling you it worked miracles oh. and because the nurses would come in they would come over and and check me for this they would you know they would take the fetal heartbeat and of course being nurses that did not they normally didn't take fetal heartbeats, you know, I mean, they, you know, they, it would take them a while. So by the time they leave, they come back in 15 minutes, roll me over and start all over again. And I smiled at them often. I just smiled at them. And there was a man at the foot of my bed. And I, you know, I know that other people experience things in hospital, but this man was so obsessed with being angry. He would throw things, he would beep the buzzer. And whenever I doze, he was beeping the buzzer. And, um, and so, the nurses came in that morning and they said, Ruth, we do not know how you made it through the night. They said with our other guest at the foot of your bed, he, they said, you kept your composure all night long. And they said, how did you do that? You know, she said, you've made it through the night. You've made it through the worst thing that, you know, the worst thing that could have happened, how you knew it. So how did you do it? And I said, I said, I just held on to my baby and knew that two of us would be all right. Mm 
And that's all I said, because I didn't understand the death experience. I didn't know people have death experiences. What was I going to say to them? Well, I went somewhere and they told me this, you know, I wasn't going to say anything. So I just, I was very, very quiet. And uh, so it was, it was, it was just extremely interesting because they kept me on IV for five days. I had nothing to eat. They brought me for every x-ray, everything that they could possibly do to prove I, to me, it seemed like they were trying to prove that it, I, you know, that it was going to be bad. And five days, they decided to take out the IV and let me eat, which being a pregnant woman, I was very happy. So on the way home, I, the first thing I had at the seventh day was strawberry ice cream. So it, it's just, you know, you, you just sit there and you, I guess with all of these, and I had, I was hospitalized six times when I was a child. And each time... I would surrender and I would ask and I would I would just ask for help. And I did that that the time that I, you know, was going to have my son. Two months later, I had a beautiful baby boy, completely healthy, nothing wrong with him. They had they checked him from head to toe to make sure there was nothing wrong. But right now he will be 55 in June and um, and he's just absolutely wonderful person. So. Um, I guess through these, what I would say is that I learned that we're, we're taken care of no matter what happens. So the next thing I'd really like to share with you is my, um, my son had, I had, okay, I was about 36 years old at this time. And I was dragging a leg, was just into a wheelchair. And um, I, I was in excruciating pain and there was nothing anyone could do for me. I went to chiropractors, I went everywhere and there wasn't any answers. So I would sit at night and I would just ask, I'd go back to that space and I'd just say, is there anything that you can show me or lead me to? Would you lead me to somebody that can give me some answers so I could live a healthy life? At this time I had four children I was really told if I had my second two that I'd probably end up in a wheelchair. And that story is that I could sense them. They were sitting on my shoulders and I knew that was my destiny. So I took a chance and, um, and I ended up still in a lot of pain, but not in a wheelchair yet. And so I, I guess I'm going to say that what had happened after that was so astounding that people have to realize that when you ask a question you have to be quiet enough and you have to really understand that your answer might not come as you want it well my son called me and there was a potluck supper downtown and he said when i come home from school he said let's he said come on down to the potluck with me you know uh, dad will meet us down there just come on come on down to the potluck i said okay so we got into the car and he says to me, he says, mom, he said, I just went up to the ashram in um, upper New York state. And he said, I sat with Guru Mai and I sang chants. He said, I have one of these. Would you sing this with me? I said, yes, I certainly will. Uh, it, okay. I mean, I was brought up Catholic. I didn't, you know, there's no way that I knew what he was talking about. And he looked at me and he's smiling at me because he, he knows me, okay? And he knows that I believe in healing. He knows, he kind of knows who I am. And he says to me, he says, 
he says, mom, he said, can you, um, he said, just, just do this with me. It'll take us 45 minutes to get downtown. Let's just sing on Rosh Hashanah. I, I said, okay. And he said, and it means the God within. I said, okay. So I started singing with him. We were singing back and forth and we were having so much fun. We left all the way down there. It was absolutely wonderful. The astounding thing was that when I went to go and get out of the car, when I normally got out of a car, I would have to stabilize my legs. I would have to breathe, stand really still. I would have to make sure they're very stable because if not, one would go out from underneath me. So I did. I went to go and do that. When I got out of the car, I didn't have any pain. No pain whatsoever. And I went, okay. So I took a walk and I was walking with a stride rather than you know, it was hard. He handed me my baby and I walked into the potluck. And of course, there was no one to talk to. You know, I mean, I just had this profound experience, but I had not registered what I had asked for yet. And so I thought, what and what happened? And of course, Todd got Todd was involved in Aikido at the time and everybody was there and he was talking. And I thought, okay, I'll wait to be able to say something. And I kind of kept it quiet within me at first. For two and a half days, Ruth had no pain, absolutely no pain whatsoever. I had no pain. I could walk. And I said, okay, what just happened? And I realized that I, I remembered my question. So I said, I thought, okay, this must be some kind of an answer. Am I supposed to chant Om Namah Shivaya every minute or something? I, I know. So for two and a half days, I had no pain. And then I got into a conversation with someone and my energy, you know what it's like when someone's energy, I think we all know this, your energy lowers and all of a sudden the pain started returning. And I went, oh no. Mm -hmm. So it really, at that time, I realized this was the answer to, to to my prayers, to my questions, to whatever you want to say. This was my answer. And I thought, okay. You know, I asked people, I said, have you ever heard of anyone doing sound for healing? And, you know, to heal a body, to balance emotion, to, to, because I felt all of it. And so they said, I said, no. So I asked again, and I asked again, no. So I started singing Om Namah Shivaya. I started singing Om. I started singing Hallelujah. I started, I thought maybe it was just spiritual, you know? And then I started going, doing different vowels and constant sounds. And it had to have been, what I would say to you, it was inner intuition that opened up to what to do with it. And, and I started right after that kind of hearing spirit. So it was kind of a lead journey. Let's put it that way. All right. And so I, um, it sent me on a course of te teaching, chanting, teaching sounds, um, producing music, I, you, know, you, you name it. It sent me on the journey. So <clears throat> I guess what I, what I said before is make sure you listen if you ask a question. And um, so the next thing that I would really like to share with you is um, you have to understand between this and the next thing, this is another thing that I'm going to slip in there that says you have to listen. I, I was very much involved with sound personally. There wasn't a lot of people that even knew what I was talking about. Um, but I, I gradually within time got to teach chanting classes. But what had happened was my ex-husband really wanted to move. He wanted to leave. He felt as though that where he went, 
would really bring happiness. And I didn't want to leave. All my family, my brothers and sisters, my friends, my relatives, I, I, didn't, I did not want to leave. A whole year we had the house on the market and did not sell. And finally he said, if you really love me, you'll go. And I, I said, okay. So I was taking a walk with the girls and I said, all right, are you listening to me up there? If this is what I'm supposed to do, this is for the highest and best for me and my daughters, I will go. The house sold at eight o'clock in the morning, the next morning. And I went, oh my God, Ruth. And my sister said to me, what in the heck have you done? I said, I said, I didn't expect it to sell. I thought that I, you know, and so I said, okay, we packed the truck and we went out to South Dakota. We went from Massachusetts to South Dakota and Ruth arrived. And from that day forward, Ruth was teaching chanting classes. I was talking to people. I was doing, I was communicating with health reviews. I, I was doing everything. I mean, I was um, there. I started bringing spirit forth and I, it was just beautiful. It was absolutely wonderful. And um, my third death experience came when I was in South Dakota. We had a Healing Hearts Institute. Everything was going beautiful. And Ruth, I got a bladder infection when I came back from speaking at Mount Shasta for Mother's Conclave. And um, I, had, I had kind of a chronic problem with that. I think it was health reasons. And so I went to the doctor, I got an antibiotic. Now you have to understand that when I was nine years old, I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with an overdose of antibiotics. And I got an allergic reaction and was in the hospital. I took them for nine solid years, so I wouldn't get strep throat or anything. And so um, I knew that antibiotics probably wasn't a very good idea, but uh, so I got the antibiotic and then I got allergic reaction of a rash. So they gave me another one and I took the, took the tablet. And you know, when you take something you know you shouldn't have done, I tried to choke it back up. I tried everything and it wouldn't come up. And I went into the bed and you have to understand that at that time, a lot of us are connected and we kind of know techniques. We kind of, we learn different things that keep us balanced and, and keep us safe. And I believed in healing. I mean, I, I was convinced everything was gonna be perfectly fine. And so I went to bed and before I knew it, I was dead. And I knew I was dead this time. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. No one could tell me that I didn't die. I was laying there and I still never heard anyone talk about death experiences. And so I, I laid there and I, and I, I held onto my body. I said, no, 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 no. Ruth's not going to die. Ruth's, Daniel had just asked me to marry him, my husband that I have now. And I, I didn't, I had my beautiful girls, my sons were grown and I just, there was no way that I wanted to go. But before I knew it, I was gone. I mean, I was up there and I said, okay, hi, everybody. And um, it was not unfamiliar to me at the third time. And I guess the way that I would describe it was absolute divine love, absolute embrace that you just you just can't ever forget it's just it was just beautiful it felt comfortable again i was home you know but i didn't want to stay there and so i could see i could see there was lots of beings there but a lot of them i didn't recognize they were every domination that you could possibly ever imagine there's native americans buddhists i mean 
And the only two that I really, or three that I really knew was because of my background um, was Jesus and it was Mother Mary. It's, it's the energy. I saw very many other females, but she was the one that I recognized. And, and they would step forward and they would talk to me. And they showed me at that time, but I'm going to back up a little bit because when I went over, I was encompassed in sound. You have to understand at the Healing Hearts Institute, we did everything that we did. We started with OM and we ended with OM. Every nail that we put into the place when we were building the meditation center was done. Every hammer was done with OM, every single person that helped. So when I went over, I was encompassed with OM because it was part of who I was. You know, it was a sound that that really brought balance of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual for Ruth. And so when I went over, I, I when I was there, all of a sudden the sounds changed and there were these harmonic conversion of energy that just wove in and out. And it went as far as the universe, I, I can't even tell you. I, I just, all I knew it was it was expansive and it came down into the earth. And I never, ever, ever forgot those sounds. And while this was going on, they were talking to me. And I had had one other experience where I was told that there, that um, we won't get into that right now, but it was, it was, it was, I was being shown and being told what, what we could do in this lifetime. And it was that we could become, they said, you could do as we have done. And there will be a time on the earth where the earth will change in frequency and that the, the growth that you have known before you can regain, you know, like what you're experiencing here, what you're experiencing down there, there's going to be expansive movement. And they, it was like a crash course study program. I mean, it just was, you know, there at the same exact time over here was like the sky had opened that the whole universe had opened and there was you know it wasn't like a camera shot or anything it was just like reality right there and it had fires it had um death it had the earth going through many um earth changes i mean there was many things happened um to me it was very fearful i mean i looked at that and i thought it i i thought i don't I don't want to say, ever see this again, you know, was my feeling when I came back. And at the same time, they're explaining that this is your opportunity. Everything that you've ever wanted, every course study anyone's taken to learn about God or learn about the presence or learn about who you are, you're, this is the lifetime that you can do that. So um, I came back and I said to Daniel, I said, I think I died. And of course, he wasn't even surprised. I mean, he just kind of looked at me and he said, okay, honey. <laughs> and, and what happened in the next few days, I probably should have went to the doctors, but I didn't. Um, only because I didn't know what to do. Because when I came back, the group that we were with, of course, Ruth opened her mouth about three days later and told everyone that we were going to walk into the space of time. And, you know, Jesus had told me and many others, you know, I mean, I was standing there and that was probably Ruth moved, um, you know, because 
everyone's looking at me and no one knew anything about death experiences. That was back in 1994. And they, you know, people I was with, they didn't have any idea what I was talking about. And I was confused. Uh, so um, we were there for quite a while, another year, and then we transitioned on to Wyoming. But it was very interesting to me because when we came back, when I came back, the music would not stop. I kept on hearing it. And it was these overlays of of a lot was it with, with Ha and Ho. And then there was these different sounds that would go. And they were just there in my head. They were there in my heart. They were there. They were just encompassing me. And I um, I said to Daniel, I said, I can't get these sounds out of my head. He said, well, instead of trying to get them out of your head, why don't you get them out of your mouth? <laughs> Try to sing. I said, Daniel, I can't keep, I can't, I could never reproduce this. I, I, I don't have, I don't even understand music. Let's be serious here. So he said, I couldn't even read music. So he says, he said, let's just do it for fun. We have meditation class tonight. Let's just do it. And um, let's see what happens with it. So we, you have to understand, we had no headphones and we had the capability of recording, but we didn't have headphones. So, which means I did one track of music and then I did another track of music and we put them together. And after he mixed, after we brought him in to be mixed, it was exactly the music I had heard on the other side. And I've had people say to me, it's like the music that people in outer space hear, you know, if they're up in a shuttle or something, you know, I have no idea, I've never been up there. But when Wings of, we named it Wings of Alchemy, and when it came through, I took, put it this way, I, what I realized, and from others that listened to it, um, because I, Ruth was a little gun shy of saying anything anymore. So, you know, people would tell me it's like, it's like the grid work of the earth, the crystal energy on everything just lines up and they could feel it going into the universe. And it was very, very healing. So anyway, that was the first piece of music that we ever put through. And, um, and it was astounding to me because now we have six albums and, you know, I would sing every day if I could just putting through new, new music. Um, so it's, I, there's so much, I, I probably missed a pile of things, but there's, there's so much that I would say to you because I went out last year with a video from Christy Salisbury and she did an interview. It was the first time I ever, ever went out. We had a book before, before the one that we had now, we called it Internal Wisdom, the Keys of Internal Wisdom. And Daniel and I traveled all over from Alaska, all over the United States. And you and who? My husband. Okay. Daniel. And um, and and then I became quiet here. We got thirteen alpacas given to us, and my daughters ended up spinning and dying, and all this kind of stuff. And I quieted down, but I still worked with people. PMH Atwater had written me up in her big book, and um, so every once in a while I get a phone call from that. And they'd say, is this Ruth, Ruth Russo? And I'd say, yes, it is. And, and so anyway, I would work online because I lived out here. And um, I stayed very, very active. And Daniel and I, um, six or six and a half years ago, uh, we started writing a new uh, revised version of this. And it was all the information that was given to us for this time. And so anyway, what happened in that, and it's really interesting because December 20th, 
I mean, December 30th, 1920, I was sitting in meditation. Forgot all about this picture. 1920. 2020. Okay, that's what you meant. <laughs> and, and, and so it was... I had forgotten all about that picture. I put it right out of my mind. If anyone could ever imagine, I just put it on a shelf because it never happened. I mean, you're talking about years later and it never, ever happened. So I just thought it was our gradual movement of our life, you know, the trials and tribulations of, of life. And, you know, there's fires and, you know, there's things that happen. I was sitting in meditation and all of a sudden this window opened up again and I went, oh my God. And I looked at it and I, I just thought, okay. And they said, and I could hear this voice and it said, it's time. And I said, great, wonderful. <laughs> now it's got to go out and say something. So it was, it, you know, and then now you're just about a year out, year since I, that, that went out. So I found it interesting when you called me and I thank you. It's, it's great to meet you. And, um, I guess I'll open it up to anything that you would like to ask. I have to ask, why do you call yourself Ruth? <laughs> I call myself Ruth. Um, I don't know. It, maybe it's an identity I have to take on and I've never taken it. Have you always done that? Like Ruth I did this, that. Ruth did that. I mean, no, it's, it's something I don't honestly know. Now I will have to look into that because nobody's asked you like why you do that. No. And this is probably the first time I, I know that recently in our work, I've been reading through, we, we put together a whole course study program and I, and I read through it and I find other things and this might be what it is. It's, it's when the personality grows to a certain level that your soul can expand. And so it has an identity and spirit has always told me that um, that you are going to walk into whom you really are. And that might be it. You, you realize that lots of times when we meditate or lots of times when we do things or we go places, we're told to not refer to us as a name. So it's kind of peculiar that I, I have through this whole thing, which I don't think I've ever done before. Really? So I, I think it. No, I don't. And so it is. It is a feeling that I think that we start embracing who we are in this embodiment and then we grow further. It's almost like we accept human embodiment and we accept being alive. It's like sometimes like you were talking about Ruth as if you weren't Ruth, like Ruth did this or that, or Ruth thought this. Or... <laughs> you didn't even notice that you did it. Well, you you might have been speaking partially to spirit because i do i do channel so thanks a lot guys um it I, which i normally do not say i am a complete fluid channel of many of these beings that are i and and i've never really gone out and and said that i think i went to a um you know, one of the meetings they have for people that have death experiences. And I said it once and Daniel was walking, my husband was walking out of this room and he, he turned around because I said, I am a fluid channel. And so he said, whoa, you know, he was just, you know, so it's, I would have to say that I meet them. I, you know, I used to trans channel, but I, I don't do that. You might uh, be surprised when you watch this later today. I have it uploaded tonight. 
how many times you said Ruth did this or Ruth thought that or it's more than likely they're 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 here you know I mean it's um it's just it's yeah can we do it over so Ruth doesn't say Ruth <laughs> no I think it's great I think it's great yeah, it's, you didn't realize you were doing it you've never done it before and so no I never you know, have you were in some kind of state I said just back up you know it's um it's it's amazing to me because all my music I have brought forth from at night I have heard different sounds and frequencies I use crystal bowls I use harps I use we use drums um Native American flute Daniel plays Native American flute we use everything that is a pentatonic um like this right here little spinner um it's it's anything that is not formed a music sheet it, we just do pentatonic where anything moves so that everyone can sing with it everyone can everyone can 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 enjoy the music and actually use their voice if they've if they feel like you know they can't sing you know type of thing i did get a little confused now do you have two sons there's a lot of age in between there is my two sons are two and a half years apart okay my i understood you say your son called you and said, come to this thing and you're listening to the music but then he, he said he handed me my baby and so i got yeah. confused i have two little girls i um i was told not to have any more children when i had my first two children and um and then my girls did come to me and i knew it i knew it i mean they'd say we're here and there was nothing I, you know, I mean, I went to a gynecologist's office and I asked him, I said, I'm thinking of having another child. I said, I, I have had a tubal reversal and I need a tubal ligation and I need it put back together again. And he said, Ruth, he said, you are 30, I think I was 34, 33 at the time. And he said, you're too old. You, um, you've had your first two. I do not think this is advisable. Your your choice. Your how should I say it? Your possibilities of having one is slim. Seven years, your tubes have been cut, and he said I don't recommend it. So I went back home and I said, okay, and then one would be on this shoulder, one would be on that shoulder, and it just was this this drawing in me. I couldn't I could not get away from it. And so I went back to him about a year later and I said, I, I realize what you say. And I said, um, but I said, I really don't want to hear anything more about my age and I don't want to hear about anything because I had gone to a chiropractor and he said to me, Ruth, you seem upset because he would adjust my back. And I said, and I told him about it. He was an, a, a Tibetan monk. And he, he said, he said, he said, Ruth, he said, my advice to you is if, if you're supposed to ha have another child, and if it's supposed to happen, why don't you just go and meditate and surrender and ask for the answers to come to you instead of having someone else tell you no. So I went home and I started meditating. I started asking in prayerful state. I just started asking. I said, show me the signs. So I went back to Dr. Barton's office and I said, 
I said, I don't want to hear any of your negativity. I said, I want to hear possibilities. I would like to talk to a fertilitist and I need you to recommend me to one. He said, okay, so I got a better idea. He said, I will call the fertilitist. We will do a scope and I will tell you if this is possible because more than likely your tubes are crushed. And I said, okay. So I sat there and he, he said they came in after the procedure. I found out that the insurance company would cover 100% because they didn't tie the tubes. <laughs> so they would cover everything. And they walked in, Dr. Barton walked in and then the fertilitist walked in and, and Dr. Barton said, I will wait for him to come in. And then he came in. And I said, could you guys please tell me, because you're groggy after something like that. He said, I said, could you please tell me what you found? And the fertilitist said, I don't know how to say this to you, Ruth. He said, it, when we looked at your tubes, they were as if they were cut yesterday. I don't have any idea how that happened. And I don't, he said, I, I look at this and I say, there is always chances that you take for a tubal thing. He said, I, um, and that would hurt you greatly if this happens. But he said, I, in my right mind, cannot tell you not to do it because of what I see. He said, this is like something, um, a miracle, because he said, it, it can't, he said, it's never happened in my whole life of seeing anything like this. So he said, when do you want to go in? And I said, as soon as possible, before I change my mind. <laughs> and so he says, he says, um, he said, when, when you when you go in i want you to stay in the hospital for seven days i do not want you up and around a lot you can walk you have to come back because i don't want any scar tissue and he said i'm going to be on your case when you go home i said okay so i went in there seven six and a half hours on the operating table and um and about three months later i was pregnant for my first daughter so he didn't want scar tissue like mm -hmm. walking around right after surgery would cause scar tissue? Well, what, what he had told me was you have to take it easy. And uh, my, the Tibetan Lama I was going with actually gave me a homeopathic that was for, um, I guess for surgery. I've taken it when I've had a hernia before. It, it helps repair things. But what had happened was I went into the doctor after that because I was all red and I got nervous. I thought, oh God, everything's going downhill. And I went in there and he said, Ruth, there's nothing wrong. He said, your nerves came back to life sooner than we thought it was. So he said, it's my came back to life. It really hurt. I, my whole nerve is like, sometimes when they do that, they, they can damage a nerve, oh. but my nerve is back. And so I don't, I don't really know why it worked besides they were definitely it was supposed to happen. That's the only thing I could say to you, you know, was Ruth blessed? Yes, but so you ended up with two daughters? I ended up with two daughters. They're um, they're 20 months apart. What year like was this when you had your daughters? I'm curious when you had your surgery. I had, I had them in um, 1994 and 1990. I mean, 1984 and 1986. Did they tell you to wait very long after the reversal before you got pregnant? Yeah, I had to, I had to, 
I cannot remember how long it was because I'm trying to think of when I found out I was pregnant because I had to go in and have them look at the, look at where the baby was and everything. And they told me there was still could be a chance that things wouldn't go well, but um, but it did. So I, I, I don't know why, you know what I mean? Like I can't, I, I've heard so many people tell stories of it not working that I you just- You know, I had dual pregnancy in 86. That's you how did. I my second NDE was from dual pregnancy from having my tubal ligation reversed. I was 25 years old, but he told me to, I think, so here I tell my story, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, um, I'm just thinking because I think he told me to wait a month to like give it that time to heal. I think, I think it was six weeks, a month or something. Yeah. And I yeah. think I was pregnant the next month. Like I didn't have that month. And so I kind of think I got some blame, like, like, well, you sh I, I had the tool of pregnancy Well, you should have waited longer before trying to get pregnant. They're not doing it right away. But I thought to do it right away because the tube was just open. That would be more open, like maybe it would close. But anyway, so yeah, I had a tool pregnancy and then tried to get pregnant for seven years after that. Well, actually, I had a tool pregnancy. I was pregnant again the next month and miscarried at two months and then tried for seven years. We were going through a divorce and we got pregnant. And but it was another tool pregnancy, but I caught it in time. My doctor listened to me this time because I knew the signs. He didn't listen to me before because he said, if you're one day late, I want you in here getting a pregnancy test to keep up on this because they can check the HCG level. And if it starts going down, that maybe yeah. it's trapped. Yes. But yes. there was no sign it was still a pregnancy other than after this, uh, seven years later, other than me saying, I know it's a tool pregnancy. I remember this pain so well. And he said, well, if it's not, and we do the surgery, it'll kill the baby. And I said, I know it is for a fact. I know it is. I wanted the baby, of course. I wouldn't have done anything to, you know, end the pregnancy. My ex was furious about me being pregnant. I didn't care anymore what he thought. But so, yeah, after the surgery, he said, you were right. It was still a pregnancy. But it didn't rupture the tube because we got it early. Where the first one ruptured the tube, and I had internal bleeding and all that in 86. Right, yeah. Yeah, I was told when I was going to have my second one that I had. I had to for both of them go in and, you know, six weeks after, uh, you know, I missed my period or, you know, would be the sixth week. Uh, and they told me to come in and they did the ultrasound and stuff. And with both of them, they were right where they were supposed to be. Yeah, I'm um, so happy to hear a success story. You know, I'm so happy that somebody got it and, and got babies out of that. I'm happy for you. I, I just, yeah, I had heard so many that weren't. I always considered that being a um being a sign that they were really supposed to come in and uh and that you know you know and nothing happened with it except my back got worse um but then the sound came in so that got fixed but it was it was really i guess i guess what i would say to you is that i i didn't I didn't understand. I mean, the thing six and a half hours, I mean, you know what it takes to put those things back together again and, and what you have to go through and everything. And every, I, I told, told probably a few people, I never told anyone because I thought they would think I was crazy like my gynecologist. And so it's, it's the type of, it's the type of thing that we all have things that happen like that, but we don't realize how how even special that you got to connect to to that 
even though it didn't work. I'm sure it, it brought you into something. I have babies in, in heaven, the way I feel about it, that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't oh, had yeah. that surgery. Yeah. And I yes. had a lot of miscarriages when I remarried. We got pregnant every spring for three years and miscarried about two months. Went to a fertility specialist and he said, every time you got pregnant, it was tubal and they dissolved in the tube. So I no longer had to have surgery. My body was just dissolving them for me. I mean, not for me, and you know, it felt like against me at the time, but I didn't have to go through the, you know, risk in my life with dual pregnancy. He said they dissolved in the tube. So, but so I, a, I, you know, I just hope that I have these babies in heaven, you know, because we did create life. You well, know, you do, you do. I know that, you know that. And then it's we had IVF, we paid like $20,000 and I was, I was over 40, I was like 43. And I was past the age, really, I should have been having IVF using my own eggs, but I wanted my mm -hmm. own baby. I'd already adopted a bunch of kids. I wanted my own with my husband. And so we, we took the gamble and I made 20 eggs, he said, which was amazing for a young woman, let alone somebody 43 and 19 fertilized. <laughs> they were shocked, but they put five mm -hmm. in and none survived. And they said they'd put five in and I had to sign a paper because I refused to have the um, like, I forget what it's called selective reduction i refuse to do that like if five grow that's how many we're having i'm not going to reduce to twins or triplets to save them i will have i will have five and take my chances of my life and these babies lives you know i won't read i won't do selective reduction i won't abort so i signed up paper okay. and that i won't re i won't abort no I mean, if they get five we have five but then when I called after I got my period, I, they didn't take. So I called to get scheduled for five more. And they said none of them in the, I want to say incubator, but that's not what it's called, you know, where the other uh, fertilized eggs are, the embryos, mm -hmm. he, she said none of them made it. So while I, while I, those didn't take inside me, the other didn't take either in, in the lab. They didn't survive. So it, she said it's, quantity but not quality because of the age of my eggs basically i waited too long but i had mm -hmm. to do it when i could afford it you know i couldn't afford it before then as soon as i was able to afford it and then i was too old but so i hope they're all in well, heaven <laughs> you know what i mean i hope we created this life i hope that i'll that they that god let them continue you know, to, to mature that's what my hope mm -hmm. is. <laughs> yeah yeah well it's it's um i had i have someone that i knew that lost their child at a year and a half old and my feeling with all of that is sometimes they're they're like your angels you know what i mean they're they're like your personal angels so you know so maybe you have a pile of little little angels with you that are helping you with your life now you know it's it, it's and I'm, I, I mean, I actually, there's some part of me that feels bad that I said anything about that because. No, no, it, no. Uh, actually, you know what? It makes me happy. Not just I'm happy that, you know, it worked for somebody, but it makes me happy because you're the first one I've heard of that's had, because you don't hear to me women's had tubal reversals, first of mm -hmm. all, but then to find out the outcome. But it makes me happy that you have two little girls from your tube reversal because that meant it was possible because I felt so guilty in a bright white light during my NDE when I lost those twins that I said, I told God, I said, I caused my death. 
I caused my twins death. Now I'm making my three boys a home motherless. So I had all that guilt. So now I hear that some, at work for somebody, I feel like God knows that could have been a chance for me instead of just, I killed those babies by having tubal reversal. And then I got to a pregnancy. You know I mean, like it was not possible to have a baby because you show it is possible. Does that make sense? It well, yes, and I'm I'm glad then because it it is there's so many things within my body where um, I I could have ended up with cancer any time or anything from this radiation treatment that I have, and um, it was about three years ago my daughter said to me you should look that up online mom because it's a miracle that you're still alive, and I started reading all the comments and I went oh my god. So it's it, it it gave me comfort then, like what you're saying. Um, I do know that I do know that the connection on the other side with with people with whatever. I mean, I've talked to my mother after she died. I mean, you know, there's you know, it's not it's not a mystery anymore, especially right now. I think we're waking up to a lot of these things heal and and why they have. I mean, for you to go through that perseverance of doing that is amazing to me. I don't know if I could have. And when we yeah, adopted the first, um, we were you know checking out kids you know, to adopt and we would hear about this one's and that one. And then they called me one day as at work and they said, Peggy, we have a sibling group of five for you. And um, she started naming their names and their ages, twin girls, Samantha and Stephanie. They're eight years old in this sibling group. I was like, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine. How old were they? Huh? How old were they when you got them? Eight years old. There was a oh three-year-old little boy, Joshua, and Shalina was six, and Samantha and Stephanie, the twins, identical twin girls, beautiful, uh, were eight years old, and the oldest was nine years old. I think they're ours. And then later we adopted um, a sibling group of four. They were foster kids that just hadn't become available for adoption. I was like, they're mine. And so when we went and met those five kids, they're all lined up in a row for us to meet them. And these twins are just standing there smiling and grinning. And then Samantha, one of the twins, all of a sudden she took off crying and ran upstairs. And so I asked the caseworkers, I said, I okay if I go talk to her? And I said, yeah. Because they were at their grandmother's house who were was taking care of them. I you know, asked permission before I go upstairs. And I went up and Sammy's up there crying. I said, honey, what's wrong? And then the caseworkers come up to listen. And she said, you say you want us now, but every home we've been in, they say they want us, but then later they don't. And I told her about losing my twins. <laughs> and I said, honey, I lost twins. And I'll never lose you, your sister. And oh my God, I'm bawling. And her and I just hugged and started crying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I changed their middle names to Hope and Faith, Samantha Hope and Stephanie Faith. Oh, that's wonderful. See, it to me, you're us two sharing these stories have opened up to me what it could have happened with all the disasters I had through my life. And and it could have happened. I mean, you know. Um, and perseverance and then you had perseverance but look at look at the family that you have you know what i mean like everything if we would just let go of even the earth right now the way it is and we would just start looking at things that are working out rather than expecting the world to change and because i don't know how much it's going to change 
Um, I think we have to win. Don't you think? So it's the Made same thing. Cry. As you. First time I cried on my. Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that? You didn't make me cry, but I mean, I really, I really get you know emotional when I think of. Well, that, I think that moment. Part of, the, part of this word spirit probably helped me, and that's why the word Ruth came through. I mean, not that they're in here, but they're all right here. Um, is because I. I told them and I told Daniel, I said, I'm going to burst out crying. If I tell any more of my stories when I was a child, I won't get any further because it it was like with you. I mean, there's one thing to do an interview, but then to bawl your eyes out is another. <laughs> because I would never, up until now, I would never discuss my, I told Christy about the child, the first death experience I had briefly told her that I'm, I knew that creation and God was within me because she said how do you know that and i said because i it's always been there i mean doesn't anybody know that i mean you know it's not very perplexed to me growing up like why are you going to a church to pray when god's right here you know i mean at a young age yeah. i knew that and so so you you look at you look at the way things unfold and i would say that that's why the word ruth came out because i didn't know if i could make it through to even say that one i mean i haven't said in one of the other ones and and so it's it's a difficult thing because you do i mean i would practice for i'm practicing for the thing with this <laughs> some spiritual awakening and i'm trying to condense some things down to 15 minutes the power packers You'll do and I, oh, I just give it, give it over to god and it'll be great that's and, why and, i can tell my nde and groups fine you know I, he yeah you know, i'd say to him i'm gonna end up crying you know so maybe that was my help I had. And um, that's why the name came out. That's all I have to say. I'm not a public I, I, crier either. I was just saying now, the lady I interviewed today, I said, I don't cry in public. I'm even in front of my kids. I don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but we do. And, it, and it's because it's sincere. It's, 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 um, you've had a healing today. I've had a healing today with you sharing that, that to me because I believe that everything if we allow things to work out in some way, we're all going to have tragedies. We're all going to, I mean, you know, people don't like what's going on right now. The Corona's coming back through, you know, now you have to get more shots. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, people are in worry. They're in, they're in, they're afraid. They don't, you know, they're confused. And like what we just talked about is something that happened a lot of things that happened to me as a child could have destroyed me completely absolutely and if and if i ever listened i go to the doctors i don't tell them about my radiation treatment and i don't tell them that i have a murmur <laughs> you know they'll say to me ruth you have a murmur i said i'm nervous today i don't like being here <laughs> you know but it's my heart is healed the scar tissue in my lungs have gone to to i don't know if there's some of it's still there but I've seen so many things that can happen that the body can regenerate or you can find your children and, and the beautiful family and the beautiful home that you've given them. Um, do you have grandchildren? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So how many grandchildren? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, because like my oldest son, you know, has kids and now he's got a girlfriend. They have two kids. And so now they have like he had. Um, two, four, five, and then hers, that would make seven. And so then my uh, other son, Jeremy, these are my biological sons, but they have four, they adopted two, and then they had two biological. But the adopted kids, when I get adding them up, 
is hard because um, three of the nine adopted, because I had two sibling groups, we unadopted three of the girls. They were running off. They were telling lies about us. They and we adopted older kids, you know. And so the kids come from really bad parental supervision. We would call it that. And so um, three of them wanted unadopted, and so we allowed them to be unadopted. And so hope that they would be happier. They weren't. Things got worse for them. Mm-hmm. You know, grass was greener on the other side. What well, wasn't? Yeah. And um, so there and then when adopt older adopted kids often when they turn 18 they go back to biological parents and they give them a try oh okay. they have that unhealed in them they got to fix like me i'm still trying to fix my mother you know we think we got to fix them and so some of them got into drugs and you know so um and so we are not only we're only in contact with two of our nine adopted kids now is dwindled down to where we're only in contact with the youngest of each sibling group. So, you know, do, um, so I don't like name, like I'll count them up because some of them we don't even see. Three of them was unadopted. So I really can't count those as, you know, our, if, if we're, I mean, if they're not, we're not gonna be part of our lives, you know what I mean? So it's a yeah. hard question when somebody's how many children, grandchildren you have, I'm like, I don't know. Cause this depends on if that child considers you their parent. And they let you see these children or they, your grandchildren. So this is a complicated question. It shouldn't be for most people. Did you have any questions for me? For I'm sorry. When, um, when I, um, I think that was it. I mean, you explain yourself pretty well. You go get a lot of detail. I don't th- that's, the main question I had is I kind of stuck on that. It's like, why should she keep calling herself Ruth? Like, when did I start that? Did I start that in the beginning? All, all through it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I guess I turned into a puddle. <laughs> yeah. I, I had some notes here about when you did it, in case you asked me that. And uh, but I can't read my notes. just scribble. But you'll you'll catch yourself when you watch this tonight. Oh <laughs> no, I mean, um, you apparently was like channeling yourself or something. I I know that. I know that I was, and I would say this for other people, a lot of people get a script and they read, they almost read a script of what it is. And, and Daniel said, well, why don't you, and I, I have all kinds of papers here. I wrote it all down. And I'm sure you didn't write it down as Ruth did this and Ruth did that. No, mm -mm, no. So, no. And I didn't, and I didn't read it. I, I, I don't even know if I missed anything to tell you the truth. I mean, I suppose um, if somebody I, else wrote those notes for you, that Ruth did this and Ruth did that, but you wasn't even reading it. I mean, and you wrote yourself. Well, what what happened? What what's really interesting about this? If if you <laughs> maybe understand it with me, um, is that the people that are with me, they of course they know who Ruth is, and they know that our whole entire book, every single page on that book is channeled. It's it was dictated to Daniel. And he typed it out and I never changed one word because I felt as though that if I changed it, it would it would lose its content in in my interpretation. And when he people have, you know, we tell people, well, what do you feel when you read it? And people say to me, it's like they're in the room. I mean, it's like you're reading with them talking to you. You know, it, it, it is it is a personalized 
personalized book to have you understand who you are and what you can accomplish in this lifetime. So, um, so it's interesting that this happened because I said to everybody, I've got to get a script because Ruth is going to end up crying because everything was so pardon. You just did it. Yeah. And, and, I, but I said that to them because I was okay. explaining. Okay. And I said, you have to, you have to understand what's going to happen. And they said, Ruth, if you do a script and you straighten it out to what, to what would be acceptable, what people would want to hear, they said it loses, it loses who you are. It loses the realness, the, the truth of, of the thing. So don't do that. And so I told spirit, I said, if I do this, I'm going to end up crying, you know, and well, then um, cry. So what? Sky's not so, so I <laughs> would you have time to listen to one other thing when sure. I was um, a young child, I had an ear infection. And I, I went, I, I think I was 13 years old, I didn't ride a bicycle until I was 13. I was completely you know, I couldn't take gym, I couldn't do anything, because everybody thought I was going to die. So anyway, it, um, I was in the um, playground at school, you know, outside, there was playing basketball, throwing basketballs, and we were laughing, and I was talking to some people. And all of a sudden, this basketball came and hit me in the head. And at that point, I guess there was an infection in my ear, and it brought it to a head. And they waited about six weeks and they kept on looking at it and it's going to pop, you know, take antibiotics and whatever. And so it didn't and they had to lance it and they lanced it and I had to, I uh, got put on painkillers and everything because it was, it was um, so excruciating and I had to lay on my side and I had a high temp and the shortness to this story is that neighbors would come over because my mother had another child and um she had my sister and um and so it was a toddler running around and so the neighbors would come and sit with me and um and one day my parents were outside um it had been a few days since it had happened but i was still in extreme amount of pain and the pain pillars had pain pill, pills had been taken away and the ear hurt so bad and i just kept on saying the things I used to say, and every other time there was a crisis, I would say, please help me, please help me, you know, and I would just, I would just lay there just asking for help. And all of a sudden, it was like, only way I could explain it is that someone took and snapped its finger, and all the pain was gone. It just, it just went away. It was just gone. And I'm, I sat up in bed and I burst out laughing. I was in hysterics. You know, you know when you when you have a belly laugh and you just laugh your head off. Well, my parents were outside and they heard me and they came running in the room. They said, "Ruthie, are you all right? Are you all right?" And they kept on asking me. And I said, I had to shake my head, yes. And I was smiling, but I was laughing my head off. I couldn't stop laughing. And they said, and they started holding me and they were concerned. They were ready to bring me to a doctor, I think. And finally, they said, what happened? Why? And the tears were streaming down my face. And so they said, come on, talk to us, please. So I did. And I said, all of us, I said, my ear hurt so bad. And then all of a sudden, 
it was like gone. And I said, I have no pain. Don't you understand how happy I am? I don't have any pain. <laughs> you know? And um, they never did get it. So again, I learned, shut up, Ruth. <laughs> and see, I said it again, but it's true. <laughs> shut up, you know, don't say anything. You know, it's uh, just be quiet. I and I, I don't know how many other people feel that way. You know, I mean, to think that I got sound when I couldn't carry a tune, could not read music. I didn't understand music. I had no desire to do to do music. I didn't, you know. And now it just comes. So I think once we surrender to what our destiny really is, things start opening up. So that was a big blessing to me. I don't know if I don't know who can, if everyone can understand it, but it was so astounding to me that it went like that. If it had gradually gone, I would have never thought anything about it. But it was like the snap of your fingers. It was excruciating pain to nothing. You just answered the question I was getting ready to ask is that you had no knowledge of music and things until that day that you started realizing that you were healed by doing that chanting with your son. Yes, at that point, all I did was I taught um, more or less toning, more or less constant vowel sounds. I would sing OM. I always sang OM. It just was always part of me. And do other chanting that kind of went with the group that I was with, you know, if it was more Eastern, if it was more, you know, hallelujah or whatever, it didn't really matter. Um, and that kind of goes along with, like, you were told to say the word love and you'd be healed or something? Love, I have never stopped. Matter of fact, we write it in our book to repeat the word love constantly and see what happens. And what I would see when I would do that way on before I even knew anything, what it was, it, it, it would, the people would relax. If they were in tuned, they would relax. It was almost like your energy field would go out and, and not not a trying to do it, not not trying to have something happen. It would just be. It would just be. That's what that's what I have to say. You know, it's um it it's so powerful, just that one word. And I had asked, I asked spirit one time. We were sitting with other people. Everybody wanted to know who their angel was and who their guides were, you know, back in back in the 80s, that's what you wanted to know, you know, and um, I was sitting around, everybody got who they who they were, you know, and they breathed into it or, you know, or I said so something or look at this and see, you know, and, and, and just everybody was so happy and they left and I said, I don't have one. Could you please tell me if I take a pen, because I started with I'm making ready, I said, if I have, if I, if I have one, please, please tell me, have it come forward and Give it to me now of course at this time i'm talking to spirit i mean it's kind of a stupid question so i i said i said i said what's going on here please and i said come on right help me help give me it and i wrote in capital letters l o v e and i went that's not funny you know i said come on and they said when you understand what that one word means, you will understand what we're saying and you will understand life. And then later when we were writing, I, I said, come on, what's this thing? Because everyone said, Ruth, you haven't put your story about love in. So I put it in, you know, and of course there's other things that happen. They said, you haven't put that one in, you know? 
So the reason that they're all in the front is so that people can realize their transpersonal experiences. But in that, what got written was, love is not a definition, it's an experience. There is no definition for the word love. It is a experience that we experience and we become. And it's like what you felt when, when your kids came to you. You know, it's, um, it's that, you know, Krista asked me, well, how do you know, you know, what do you, you know, people have asked me that. And I said, I, I said, what does it feel like? And I said, it feels like Christmas morning. You know, it feels like, it just feels exciting or it's warmth. It's just warmth. And that's when I was nine years old and I had went into that. I call it the void now from, from understanding, but back then I didn't understand it. Into that darkness, it was warmth. And, and I think when we say the word love, our heart opens. I don't know of anyone that can say that word intentionally with a centeredness in your heart and not have your heart get warm, especially after you do it for a while. So that's, that was my journey with, and it still is, you know. The first time we brought our um, first five adopted kids, we the sibling group home for a visit, it's a two hour drive from their grandma's house to ours. And just as we pulled in, because there's four girls and the baby boy, Josh, is four years old. And just as we pulled in the driveway, I turned around to you know say we're home. And I looked at him and he was pouting. And I said, Josh, what's wrong? And he was like, he said, I don't want to call you Jim and Peggy. I want to call you mom and dad. Oh my God, love instantly. My husband and I both at the same time bust up laughing. <laughs> it's love. It's like we fell in love. I tell him that story all the time. We fell in love with him in that second. <laughs> well, it's those times that, you know, people don't think that they have transpersonal experiences. Um, and I'll just say, you haven't looked at them, you know, because they're all around us. They're, they're whatever, you know, it's, I think from all of these and from your experiences, my feeling is that that's where your heart starts opening. And I think in this lifetime, that's that's what I've been shown that is going to happen is that our hearts are going to um, meet our souls, meet our spirits. You know, the heart is is more than now people are talking about it. When we first started writing it, nobody talked about it. It's it's um it is a it's it's another brain. It's another so wisdom and and that's what you feel when my feeling is that, and it's my feeling. Not and that. I'm so hopeful. This is totally off topic, and I probably shouldn't bring it up, but I am. I'm so happy about the um possible end of abortion because I'm thinking of all the happy moments yeah. of adoption. Like I just described to Sammy and with Josh, those happy moments that are healing for parents that have lost children that yes. can't conceive. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even the, all the homosexual couples out there, the children that will be available for adoption is just going to open the floodgates for all these mm -hmm. love moments for these children that would not have been born. And everybody wants to talk about the near death experience, you die and come back. I said, what about these people that are coming into this earth plane? They're coming here yes. and my five-year-old drowning. I was told children are sent here to be loved. That is why God sends them here. And I'm like, I imagine all these happy adoption moments like I had. You you just you just brought a um, 
I have a little tiny little bug. Um, you just brought something that I, I wanted to say, and I was going to say when I talked about my first one and the realizations that came through, and it's kind of what you're saying. It's, it is, and I might have said something a little bit about it, um, but it's that sparkle that children have. It's that, it's, it's that they are connected when they come in. Um, it's, it, it's that type of thing. I see it in my grandchildren. I see it in my little two-year-old grandchild, and I've seen it in every one of them that we've had, that um, even bouncing a, 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 you know inflated balloon, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's just the sparkly eyes. But when Elizabeth was born, that was my first daughter that was born, she, she, um, I had natural childbirth with her. I didn't with my first two children. And and she didn't cry and they and they picked her up and they put her on my chest because they knew that her breathing was perfect and everything and this infant picked her head up and held her head like this and looked right in my eyes and i went oh my god we're in for trouble <laughs> I mean, we're in for a big <laughs> ride here and and it was it was really funny because children know they know so much if we would allow like what you're saying what you found what i found even in disaster it you they know so much and and one of the things i'd like to say is my girls used to sit on these stools and i did homeschooling and i started very early with them and you know the little one would take crayons and you know scribble and my other daughter would try to put things on paper and order and all this stuff and all of a sudden she looks up at me and i'm on the other side of the counter and she said mom and I said, what? And she said, that lady's here. I said, what lady? And I'm looking all around. I turn around, I'm looking. She said, that lady, she's here a lot, mom. That lady's here. She's right next to you. I said, what lady? She said, come. She grabs a hold of my hand and she pulls me in the bedroom. And I had a picture of Mother Mary. And she said, that lady, she's here all the time. So they can see things, you know what I mean? They, um, if, if we would allow them to really understand things, you know what I mean? Because this is an innocent child, young, that had no programming. I wasn't even going to church. She never got exposure to Mother Mary or to Jesus. So she never had any idea. And so I guess what I would say is that children have instincts, like they said, mom and dad. I remember the first time my girls called Daniel dad, and it was very, very, very breathtaking and beautiful, you know. And Josh had just turned four, and he said that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he knew. He knew he wanted us to be his mom and dad. And he's probably known you before. That's the, we put such limitations on so many things, you know, it's, and so many miracles that are so many expansive experiences that happen. They happen all the time. You know, it could be a butterfly. It could be. I mean, and uh, my husband and I, we went to Vegas to get married because we both had the teenage kids and, you know, the second marriage whole thing. And I'm like, you know, let's just, you know, I heard that song, Faith Hill, hey, baby, let's go to Vegas. Let's go to Vegas and get married. So we did that. So we got there and we're walking around seeing all the places. And he's okay, let's go get married now. And I was scared. I was so scared to go. And it was like my idea. And now we're there. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I had cold feet. I'm scared. I, I want to get married, but I'm just. And so what I did as I got thinking, the reason and he knew the reason that we need to get married, we, I mean, I wanted to marry him anyway, but I mean, to tie the knot, do it legal, 
is you have to be married to adopt or should be. And so mm -hmm. I, we had to get married before we could adopt children. And so I set my mind like, okay, there's children out there that would need us to adopt them. And we need to do this in order to adopt. Mm -hmm. And I just started picturing these children that they were out there somewhere that we were meant to adopt. And we got married November 7th of 97. And our, uh, let's see, our son Joshua was born in November of 94. And um, so, you know, he was already removed from his mother at that point and already available for adoption. You know, we didn't know. And so it just, mm -hmm. it just felt like, and then like I say with the twins, and it just felt like, you know, everything was just meant to be like, if I hadn't lost my twins in that tool pregnancy, would I just jumped at the chance when I heard twins in the sibling group to go with this group of kids versus others. So, yeah, it's all, like I said earlier, um, uh, lady, I talked to you earlier, it just seems like there's things that's meant to be in our life. Like we have all this free will, this big yeah. playground, but there's certain points we're meant to hit. And we can, and we can miss them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing that I would say that I, if I, with the sound, I could have just thought, oh, I was feeling good that day. You know, I, I mean, even though it, it was cold and no pain, but, you know, or I could have thought, well, I can't sing. I mean, I can't even carry a note. I know nothing about music. This is stupid. You know, and, you know, I'm, I, I don't do chance. I mean, you know, it, that type of thing. But I never, you know, I would slow down every once in a while. But but then it, it was this this feeling in me. And if we would listen to those, it's like with having the girls. I, and and maybe your your thing led you to the adoptions. And if we didn't follow through with, um, I mean, I. I mean, I'm going to say this because people have to have to realize opportunities that come, right? I had just, you know, I said, okay, I don't really know what, how to, I mean, we're online. I mean, you know, I live in northern New Mexico up against the mountain away from everybody, you know, that type of thing. So I'm sitting here going, okay, guys, you know, over there, what, what, what am I going to do, you know? And I got the notice from you and my whole heart went, boom, and I went, whoa. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you doing this. It's, it's so, it's so beautiful. And the space that you allow where I could be me, you know, even though Ruth was hanging Ruth, um, you know, I didn't expect that to happen. I'm gonna have to talk to that for a reason. But, well, it, it, it is because it, um, it lets people know that we have energies you can call them angels, you can call them masters, you can, whatever you want to call them, you know, saints um, around you all the time. I had, I had gone up to see Guru Ramai one time, but of course I had the two little girls and I couldn't go into the thing that my ex-husband and my son went into. And uh, I was just walking around with the stroller and I spent two days walking around and whatever. And um, I could hear it from a distance. And I went into the gift shop and the woman said to me, she said, she said, she said, would you like to go through those two doors and, and look at the, 
I forget what they call it. I, I don't know what the words they used, but it was all statues back there and candles. It was just gorgeous. And she said, would you like to walk in there? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, it's like a maze. She said, just walk around, you know, the way it goes and you, you'll see all, all these statues. I walked through the door and everyone's always asked me, well, what was it like when you had your death experience? It was exactly like my death experience. All the statues were white. And I walked in there with all these saints and angels and wings and Buddhas. And I'm sitting there going, whoa. And when, recently I said to Daniel, I've got to try to get a hold of them and see if they have a postcard of that. Because it was exactly what I saw. You know what I mean? And I walked through and the girls were memorized, mesmerized. I mean, you have to understand, I mean, Patricia was walking age. So Elizabeth was a toddler and they stayed in this double stroller and they never asked to get out. They just looked around and looked, you know, so it, it do you understand what I mean? Yeah. It's that was the given to back me. here on this door. Remind me of that. the panel of people in my near death experience. I lost the twins. Yeah. See, that's that's what it is. It's everyone has a different experience. And and and, um, you know, the baby one, the only thing I can remember is absolute divine love, you know, being embraced, feeling like I was home. Oh, no, I have to go back. You know, I mean, the feeling when I came back, like, oh, God. Um, so. I guess that those little things, and that's why I'm saying that that's a little tiny thing that could have just been passed off when I walked through those doors and maybe the people had intuition because they said, you really need to go back there. And I walked back there and I went, oh, my <laughs> God, I'm just standing there saying, I just I'll spend the next two days in here. <laughs> I used to come back a couple of times, go back there again. It was just it was so beautiful. You know, it's those are the little things. And we pat and sometimes we we're not grateful for them. But do you, do you feel as though that obstacles, the obstacles in your life, if you go through that obstacle that you come out on the other side better, or am I the only nut? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, and I used to always say, um, I can always find the good in anything that happens. There'll be good in this. I can yeah. see the good later. But when we had a tragedy happen in uh, Michigan in 2000, and I said, God, I'll never see the good in this. I'll never, I'll never, never, never see why this happened. And, you know, I ended up writing my memoir. I still didn't see the good. I'm sorry. And I still didn't see the good. Only in the last couple of years have I been getting the aha moments of that had to happen to put me right here where I am treating people the way I want to treat them. Not the way I always treat them, the way I want to treat them, you know, at least I know, you know, to treat people fairly and not to assume things and not be so judgmental. And yeah, being fair to people and yeah, all those things. We yeah, don't learn of the worst of tragedies. We there can be a huge learning in them. Well, I think I think there I think there are if if we give ourselves the availability to see what they are. You know, some people, and I know, I can't say that I wasn't resentful at times in my life. Can you? I mean, I'm, sure. I'm not saying that I didn't pout or I didn't get angry or frustrated, but when I would get over that, 
there was those aha moments, those, those, and so I've always thought, okay, this is a real tough time, especially right now on this earth. Um, what, it, what is it going to show us now? You know, one thing yeah. I've recently learned, if you have a, a grudge against somebody and it's in the past and you can't get over it, mm -hmm. when you see them again, circumstances where something you see them again, make sure that is a positive, loving experience. So you have that memory now instead of what you had in yeah. the past. I agree. I agree with you. And by you standing and turn their nose and go the other way, you are yeah. missing an opportunity yeah. to heal yourself. Um, it just happened last week again with somebody that was in my past and it was horrible, horrible what they were involved in against me. And I saw them. I said, oh, hi, how are you? And how's your wife? And, and then I seen them again the next day. And I thought, is this a coincidence? I see in the exact same spot, almost exact same time the next day. And I was like, hi. And so now I have a new memory instead of that old one of awful stuff that went on in the past. I have this new, well, the last I seen, we were good. <clears throat> Everything's good between us. You can let go, you know? And I think I, I think that that's, that's, to me, that's a ha moment. <laughs> when you can let go of something, you know? I, I can't guarantee that the other person would but they have to at least have something that happens see them in a new yeah. light see them in the future or in the present now so see them in the past you can see them in the present and everything's okay they're no longer a threat because i think that's what all these bad memories are, are threats they're threats that we got to be safer now we got to be on our toes we got to be on to watch out for this and this and this but then if we can create a new one so i don't know but, uh, and my angel yeah. here, I bought this years ago. It was on clearance and I put this here and I thought, I didn't think of it at the time, but I thought later, you know, the angel I heard and then later saw on my five-year-old drowning. It's like, I've got my panel of people for my second NDE. I got my angel for my first degree. And then church right after my five-year-old drowning, I had a spiritual experience in church. And it was, it was a similar, you know, it's just old fashioned country church. And so so, so today I thought I started realizing what I have here. And so I thought, well, I need a flower because there's a spiritual experience I had after my journey with a flower. And I thought I need one single flower. And this is actually my brother-in-law made it. He welded it and made flowers. And so he made that. So, and I got my Bible and I got books people have sent to me that have been gas. And so I just like, it's my little corner here of um when i come in like i'm like i'm back in all the lights and the spiritual experiences and you know radiate everybody else's stuff and yeah. well it's it, you know it's because it's funny i have a statue of kuan yang over here and i never i never was involved i mean i was i was a catholic i don't know what what religion my first were. marriage was catholic uh -huh. i don't know what okay. i am now so. um, and I remember, and I had talked to my brother about it because we both went to parochial school. And my cho I, I chose to go. My parents asked me if I wanted to go. My brother was going. And I said yes. And I used to, um, of course, I couldn't play on the playground. I couldn't run around. So I'd walk over to the church and sit in front of Mother Mary all the time. You know, it was, it was what, what I did. It was just what I did. And um, so I, it's kind of, it's kind of those remembrances that you have when you, you know, when you are a child, 
Um, and I'm not saying there wasn't hard times. I mean, that's, you know, we're sitting here talking about all the good ones. Um, you know, it's, it's really remarkable. That's all I would have to say. My mother was someone that could say the rosary and I would call her and say, this is what's happening, mom. And all of a sudden the kids would get better and the fever would be gone. She had, she had this connection with the rosary that I had no idea what it was, you know, and, and then my dad was the type of person that every single rock, every single leaf, every single crystal, you know, when you look, when you go on the beach, you pick up the rocks and they look clear and, and, or the shells, every single thing of life was beautiful. I mean, he would just, he would just be absorbed in nature. So I had these two extremes, you know, People and laugh at me at Facebook because they said they get a kick out of me because the things I post, um, just like yesterday, me and my cat together, we're watching these eggs being hatched. We have this little incubator and we just got it. And, and like, it takes 21 days for them to get mature and they start hatching. And me and the cat sitting there for hours. I took a picture of my cat to watch the incubator. I took a video and put on Facebook of it. It's so fascinating. This, you know, it starts to crack open the egg and then the little chick comes out mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, new to the world. And I get fascinated by simple things like that. It's, but those are the things that matter. I think, you know, those are the things that you look at and, and it's the joy. And if we can find beauty and our heart opening from, from where we are right now, we are in physical embodiment, you know, it's, and, and there's good, there really is. But like, you know, your glass in back of you, it's, um, you have that reminder and I have my reminders, you know, throughout the house you know it's um and it's beautiful i just you know and you I, I look music at, i mean i've said mm -hmm. so many times on here uh, if i get in a bad mood or if i'm not in a bad mood uh doing stuff i don't really want to do or whatever i just love the um christian pop music mm -hmm. i just absolutely love it. and the first time i heard it years ago it used to be that all kind of old-fashioned which i like it you know the old-fashioned christian music too but I just had to be flipping around the radio. I was cleaning one day and I found this station. And I just started rejoicing. And I have found over yeah. time that it, my husband knows I get in a bad mood, you turn Christian music on. It's just like, it's instant. I mean, for some people that do drugs, I suppose that's what it's like for them. I don't know, but you, cause it's so instant. Like turn it on. Yes. And <laughs> Yeah, it's it. You just you just get you just get happy. Uh, we had a, a very close friend of us that sent us a video the other day, and, and, and just put on it. I just thought you'd really appreciate this, and it was Alleluia. It was a different version of Alleluia. And I, and Daniel, and I had tears. My husband and I, we had tears coming down. Was it, our was it uh, Pentecost or something? I'm trying to think of the name of that one group. There's one group. Uh, I, I never say it right. I don't want to say Pentecost. That's not right but um they do um hallelujah songs really good but anyway mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful it's you know i we sent a message back and we said thank you you know yeah. but my husband has had a death experience so that was see. um it's, yeah two people living together that have death experiences that have different you know you know things our lives that we've observed differently it's just very very interesting so it's um 
Yeah, my yeah. husband is supportive of mine, whether he actually understands it. He, I think sometimes mm -hmm. he really dealt with other times. I'm I'm like, he'll say something like, you've really been listening, haven't you? Is yeah, I have. Like he's like, he can connect dots for me too of of things that like if I didn't, yeah, you're right on with that, you know. Like you are paying, he's really smart too. I don't think that you really have to have death experiences. I really don't. I, you know, I think that the transpersonal experiences, everyone can have depth. You know, um, it might not be the same, but it's, you know, I I think I've learned a lot from my transpersonal experiences, my spiritual transpersonal experiences, probably more because they have me understand what happened. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's so many people wanting to be a guest. They'll say, "No, I didn't have an NDE. I'm sorry. I don't know if I should be on. I really just had just a spiritual experience." Like these are having experiences. You experience the realm. That's what we're talking about. It's not one better mm -hmm. than the other or one kind better than the other. Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, if you want to call it heaven, if you want to call it whatever you, anyone wants to call it, it's here. You know, we're not. We're not separate. And I guess that's what I used to see in children's eyes. That reality and this reality is not separate in their eyes. I'm and I said before, like, you want to see, everybody wants to see heaven. They listen to these stories because they want to see heaven. They want to see Jesus. They want to know what it's like. My NDE yeah. and your NDE, we're not going to have that NDE again. And nobody's going to have that NDE that was special for us at that time. But the thing is, is we can have heaven here on earth. To me, there's nothing more close to an angel than a newborn child. Yes, and I and I agree with you. And I think that Jesus is in so many people's lives and they don't even recognize him. They don't even, he calls a lot to people who, who are not looking. Yeah, you want to see the face of Jesus? You want to touch heaven? You know, help an elderly person, help a, help a child, you know, look in the face of a newborn. I mean, it's all around us. Yeah, a, a sick and person that needs a helping hand. I mean, there is that that love. It's all love, and even all the end ears, even the atheists and the new ages. It's all about the love, really, because it's all about the love for the unborn. It's all about love for the the old person over here that's everybody ignoring, or the people you're pushing out of your program because they don't fit your political agenda. If it's all about the love, then let's have it for everybody and not just some. I'm very passionate about that <laughs> because I grew up unloved child. You know, I was unwanted. My mom didn't want to have me. She wanted to have an abortion. My dad wouldn't let her. And then I grew up unloved in my family and abused. And then my second, and then I marry a man that didn't love me because I was pregnant. And then his family didn't think I should be. And, you know, it was just all this unlove, unlove, unlove. And so I believe that God gave me the life he gave me. So I would be a voice for the unloved. That's who, right. that's who I yeah. think I am. I think I am a voice for the unloved to constantly remind people, don't leave these people out. Don't tell these children they can't be born. Don't, you know, treat people like, the, like I even like right now, you know, I have the Christians saying, don't let the new agers on and the new agers don't like, you know, all the people talking about God and Jesus and stuff. And I'm like, come on, y'all, you know, this is all one here. This is all I, about I, the same heaven, the same God loves us all the same. He loves Trump just as much as he does Biden. But it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting that you just said that because I'm going to share one thing that I've never shared, you know, anywhere with people. Um, and that is that after I had my second death experience and my boys were 
I don't know. They they were seven and you know three. You know, you know they they weren't they weren't older, and I I had this experience. I went I went to this um, conference, and one of the men that were there I had seen often, and he said, "If you you and Paul would come to," he was a minister, and he said, "If you would come to my service, I'll go I'll go to the church with you," and I said, "Okay." I mean, huh? okay. And I was sitting there in in the chair, and I didn't realize what they do. I had no idea. And he said, he said, um, now we would like anyone that would like to to walk forward for Jesus Christ. And I'm sitting in the chair. And I thought, well, that's nice. I wonder who's going to do that. Before I knew it, I was up by his side. And I just stood there and I A went. A Catholic getting saved. <laughs> Don't tell your I, I had no idea. So after this had happened, the love energy that I found at my death experiences, which I didn't know anything about death experiences. Um, all I know is that I used to say love all the time and my heart was open. And I was, um, I wanted to know more after this, I wanted to go to the priest. And I wanted to know more, please. And so I walked in and I said, Can you I, can you tell me what I could do to be able to understand the love that I feel in my heart? I want to, I want to understand it more. And he took his fist and he pounded it on the table and he said, that's for clergy. Now I'm not criticizing all priests. I'm not saying this for that or the church. I have total respect for any domination. Okay. I get up now you have to understand that at that time I was the type of person that was quiet shy didn't really speak out, I was a very inward person. I got up out of the chair and I took my fist and I went boom and I said that's the last time you'll ever see me in your church and I walked out because God does not tell who can understand love and I walked out of the room well when I told my ex about that he says. I think it would be nice, Ruth, if you went to go, they had these things. There's a Pentecostal church, and then there was also a person that was doing exorcisms. And he said, maybe if you talk to him, he can tell you why you're, you know, your life is moving forward the way it is. And I, I didn't think he was judging me, but I, I have no idea. And so I went in there and I listened to what this guy had to say. And, I got up afterwards and I walked up to him and I said, I said, can you, can you help me? Because you know how much people that you're helping by these conversations, because I had no one to talk to. I was hearing messages. I was, I knew I was taken care of by that time. And I, and I just, I walked up to him and I said, this is what's happening to me. And I said, in circumstances, my ex brother in law wanted to automatic handwrite and of course I wasn't interested in anything that was holistic it was you know like, go away from me. And he had a pen and made a ball bearing with a heart and he was gonna he didn't want to do it alone. And so i've got a grocery list, this is before what I was it he wanted to do I didn't catch it. This was my ex brother in law yeah. Okay. You said he wanted he, uh, I didn't catch the he word. wanted to learn how to handwrite and this is what led me to go into. To like this automatic place. handwriting yeah okay. so he got a pencil and he's he's gonna he's gonna 
We're both going to sit there quiet. And of course, the kids are running around the house. And and he says, I, I, I want I want a message. Can you just help me? And I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, he said, just, you know, come on, let me do this. I said, I read the whole book. And he said, I'm not going to go off crazy or anything. He said, I just, you know, just a drawing that I have. So he picked up the pen and he sat there and I'm writing out a grocery list. And all of a sudden on the, my paper, it goes high. And I went, Peter, this is not funny. And he looked at me and he said, he said, why? And, and I pointed to the paper and he said, oh, great. I spent three weeks making this little device and reading this book. And I sit here with you and in two minutes, you're right high. So get a message. Well, the message was more a Bible oriented message. And just then the door and someone knocked on the door and it was our insurance guy collecting his insurance payment. And he walks in and he, Pete says, oh, tell him about it. Here, Ruth wrote this. Can you can you tell us where that is in the Bible? And he starts quoting all this stuff. And I'm sitting there going, well, I didn't want any of this. I, I didn't even want this to happen. Do you understand? I mean, this wasn't something Ruth, and I, I wanted to forget it. So then I went to the exorcism guy because my husband really encouraged me to go. And I walked up to him and I said, this is what's happening to me. I can hear, I can, I can sense, I can hear, um, I have no one to talk to about it and I don't know what to do. And he said, he said, all right. He said, Ruth, this isn't my, isn't, this isn't what I do. But he said, go home and have them write a prayer and bring that prayer back to me. So I did, I went back in a week, handed him the thing. And he said, the tears just filled his eyes and he hugged me and he said, Ruth, I can't help you because I get rid of things. But I don't have people bring them. And so he says, go to this church and see if this fits for you. But I never found a place to go. You know, I just, you know, it was not back then things that I was hearing or, or, or things were so unusual. And now they're not. Yeah. So what you're saying, all the religions are going to come together. And love is what guides them. Yeah. Um, doc, not doctor. You know, he is doctor now. Uh, Neil Helm, he was nominated for a Google Peace Prize or something because of uh -huh. the apps he made. He's had an NDE when he was young. I don't know if you know her, Neil Helm. And he was doing a, a research for his, on NDEs for his PhD dissertation. And I was one of his subjects. And when mm -hmm. he gave his talk later, when he was finished with it at an IONS group, I think it's Virginia Beach, um, we had code names. We had to give him a code name. So I named myself Cat. And he says, now Cat. I was like, oh, he's talking about me. What's he going to say? You know? And he says, she has more, how do you call it? Psychic experience. He says, and all of us all put together. I'm like, me? And then he went mm -hmm. through some of the things. And I never, I never looked at myself that way. You know, right. I, I'm not psychic. I'm not a medium. I don't you know, like to see. No. I don't no. do. I'm just me. You know, and and he yeah. says she's got more psychic spirit that or abilities than all of us. I'm like, oh, think so. But um, but it's very interesting how he he put things together and just like in a nutshell, different little experiences like that. Well, that's that's the thing. From this person, he didn't consider that I needed an exorcism. <laughs> You know, I mean, I was kind of relieved, you know, I mean, I'm not totally crazy, but it, it was just, you know, as a children or as even young, me as a young adult, there was no one to talk to. 
And now with this type of thing, there is, it's not any of us are saying you should believe this or believe that. It's just things can happen to you. Things can open up. I mean, any one of those experiences that I gave, I could have just put underneath the rug. Oh, I know I went there. My mind went there with Neil Helm. You talk about the churches and, and um, where to go with this kind of thing. And he quoted me and I forgot that I had said that. Um, he said that I had told, which I remember now, and I haven't forgot it, but I had said that. He says, um, says no, I, I said, um, no, I don't go to church. I am church. Yes. And I thought yes. that sounds really egotistical. I know it does for me. Anybody yeah. here that I said that, but it's honestly how I feel. It's like church isn't in any building out there. I could ever go. I could search forever for the right church. And I, for me, I will never find it. My church is in here. Yes. And yes. is my experiences and my interpretations and my limited psychic abilities I have and how I bring out the light I feel like I like I harness the light when I talk about these experiences with guests or I talk about my experience wherever I talk about it. it I feel like it harnesses the light. You know, like it just don't bring out. I feel like I by the end of a good show like this one, I end up feeling like I have harnessed, like I can actually feel the light and grab onto it. And it'll stay with me for a while. And that's yeah, my <laughs> Well, it's just, it's always there, right? I mean, you know that. It's yeah, just for us to access, because we can get dark and 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 block it out. We can get angry and mean and hateful. We can get depressed and sad and hopeless. Or we can find that little pathway out to the light and harness yeah. that light. And yeah. I almost said, and make it our bitch. <laughs> you really look at things like that and you say and you see people that are sad and i can't say i mean i've had some dark you know not dark but kind of like depressing days a lot you know in this last week they happen and but i've found now that they only come a half a day instead of lasting the whole day um i, I really think that it's 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 the earth's transition and everyone's going through it either physically mentally emotionally um even people like you and i that kind of know better i had you know I, don't, I, mean? I don't remember very many dreams at all but one dream i had some year ago um really has stood out with me and i'll just go through real quick okay and i've had this one reoccurring dream this first part of it but not the rest and the one part reoccurring dream i have is a reoccurring dream I ever have is um, I'm in a room and I'm spinning and I get going up and I start levitating up to the ceiling uh -huh. and I'm flying. And then I come back down and I get going again and go up. And then later on in the dreams, um, it would be other people watching me do it. And then um, I'm teaching people how to do it. Kind of like Peter Pan. Is it Peter Pan? I think the movie they learn how to fly. And it's kind of like that. And, and so I'm showing people how to do it. Well, this last dream, I haven't had a, this reoccurring dream since, but I'm doing that. And we're doing it on a, um, first we're doing it inside of a room. And then we go outside on a street and we're doing it. And this army comes through, like a parade of this army. And people are saying, don't do it. We're not allowed to do it. We're not allowed to do it. 
and they they grab us and they put us in like a concentration camp and now it's like um we've been there and we're like we're like starving or like they've been we've been mistreated and and we're all scared and afraid and then all of a sudden i say guess what and i don't remember my exact words but i start doing it again and everybody starts doing it and we all come to realization that the world is about to end but we are going to be just fine because it's all in here like no matter what they do they're going to come kill us or whatever we're all we're going to be in heaven we're still going to be in this wonderful state we can be in that wonderful state here or we can be in there or we can wait till we go there but we can do it here and so they're all coming and they're getting ready to kill us and then these bombs come and they're killing the bad guys you know but but we're like no matter live or die we're okay because we can yeah. harness the light i didn't use that word harness the light you know i'm saying it now because that's what you know i'm talking about and so sometimes when i'm doing this i'm like in these podcasts i'm thinking peggy now i'm going to talk to myself peggy like you do ruth <laughs> <laughs> you start doing that you let me know i want to see the video <laughs> that, that we that we yeah that we that's what we're doing here is we're, yeah. we're not physically bodies levitating but spiritually we can levitate and fly we can yeah. like let go and get in that light in that realm where nothing can hurt us right so that's my thing you know it's funny when you say this because we have i live in northern new mexico like i said and i um i live up against the mountains and we've had a terrible, terrible drought. And right now we have an extremely bad fire. It's, it has gone through so many, so many acres of land up above us. And it's not right directly in back of us, but it's aiming this way. And, and I just, when I went to sleep, I said, I'm just gonna ask you guys, please, could you do something, you know? And we have an extremely, like today, I have a sweater over me and a blanket on my lap because I turned off the heat in this room because I, you know, it makes noise, but it's, it's cold. And I said, we don't have cold at this time, maybe a night, but not during the day. And it's cloudy today. And we've had two days, like three days. You're like in New this. Mexico. Yeah. And I keep on asking, is the cool weather something to do with the fires? I haven't gotten a real answer yet, but it's, because I know that everybody around here is praying or asking or, you know, doing whatever they can do to help this. If, if walking out the sun, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering why, because I've asked for rain and, um, we got yesterday morning, there was small little snowflakes falling out of the sky. And I said, look at that. It got answered. And then it stopped. But, you know, but today it was supposed to be sunny and it's cloudy and I'm going, okay, is it cooling the ground? Is it helping the firefighters because it's cooler? Um, I don't know, but it's just spreading and they closed down one of the small ski resorts on the south side. When you go down to Taos and you go up where the town is down below us, it's about an hour away on that side. And they closed off, they evacuated people and they got everybody making snow, uh, you know, getting their machines ready in case the fire hit that area. Um, and it's all the way down to Santa Fe. I was talking to my friend down at Santa Fe and she said, Ruth, if I look out the upstairs windows, I can see the one that's south of us, the one that's west of us, 
and I can see this one and I can see it toward coming toward you because she can go right in there on the circle and her upstairs. And she said, they're all bellering. They're all, you know, the smoke is still going. And my son and my daughter-in-law are down there and he's a park ranger. And I sent her a message and just said, what's happening? And she said, because the smoke gets so bad up here that you really don't want to go out. You want to keep all your windows closed. And because um, the wind has been blowing, we've had very high winds. And I guess what I'm saying to you is I, you know, I look at all the people that have to fled from their homes that have lost their homes up here. And, um, and we have never had a fire like this. And, and I, I look at what's happening. And I don't know how it is today, but um, the winds are not as, not as high. We don't have winds around here like this. And so it's, it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting thing to me because we had a fire in our house one time. And so it makes me a little nervous, um, you know, because this could, if it got back, was it from right down the mountains. So there's somebody that let you know, life is coming your way, you guys need to evacuate. Yeah, they've got alerts going off and they've got everything, you know, we lose everything, you know, but. You guys got all your important papers together, and uh, you know, yeah. like if you had to go. I don't really think that it, it would take a lot for it to come through the mountain ranges here um, because there's not a lot behind us. Um, that wind though, that can do a lot. Shift. The wind, it, it's, it has spread. I mean, it is amazing. And I think of all the people in California and you know, when we think of um, what they've gone through with fires and there has been fires here and we are dry. I'm, I'm not saying that we haven't had a dry season. Um, but it's not what I expected, you know, to happen like this. So it's, you know, there's just, there's, we ask, and um, I have, in my heart, I know that something's going to work out, you know, and something will work out for all these people, but uh, most people have abandoned their homes up, up you know, across the mountain. In I feel Iowa. bad too for the people with asthma and breathing problems, you know, COPD and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we get all the smoke from um, the smoke hits the mountains from California, Arizona or um, Nevada. I mean, we get it from California. We get them. You get it and it just settles here. Um, but now that we've got our own. <laughs> oh, but I just I see my feeling is that something's going to happen. That's, you know, that's going to help this. I mean, it's going to stop. I mean, uh, we have over 200 firefighters here right now. And so, you know, it's, um, it's an, just an interesting time. You know, when you talk about crisis and you talk, you know, we, we were talking about it, you, we all have a tendency to, to be fearful. I mean, it's, you know, like you're talking about good days, bad days, and then something happens. Um, this has caused us to, you know, to wonder if we'll lose our home. And, yeah, and, and it's major. But I know that we'll be taken care of, you know, I guess that's the um, and that's, I guess, all of us have those good things that are going to come out of this. So, I mean, not good things, but, you know, I mean, something's going to work out, put it that way. Yeah, I guess the only good thing would be is if you, that you would have warning that you could get your affairs yeah. in order. We will. Everybody is really on top of it. I mean, really, really on top of it. So it's. Um, we have not had any notices or anything. It hasn't come close enough near us to bother us. But, you know, my heart goes out to all the people that it has, you know, 
and into the world with crisis. You know, we talk about crisis and what we can do with it, but um, it's it's just an interesting thing. And about where you put your attention to, you know. So I see it stopping somehow. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's why so. we quit watching the news because that's just oh yeah, you can survive with all that negativity. It's it it is. I I don't um I don't watch it either. I'll every once in a while I'll turn on something else and say, nope, that's the end. Because there's know. nothing we can do to change anything because it seems to me like our government's not doing anything to change it. So I don't think I can do a thing. Yeah, just be aware what's going on and then leave it. So yeah, I well I think that I think that enough of us can get together that we will pull through this one, you know this whole thing with the earth right now. That's what I was shown anyway. I can't tell you why I was shown that. I mean, I've just never known of anything to be on such a global scale. It's either that country's deal, dealing with this and that country, or maybe there's war between two or three countries, you know, but not the whole globe right. is dealing with this crap. It just yeah. seems so intentional. So there's more of us than there is of them. And I think it's going to get to that point where we realize that, that there's more of us than there is I think, them. I think more people are waking up yeah well i don't want to take yeah. up here all day i gotta get okay. some lunch i'm about to start so. yeah me too God, what time is it no one's gonna watch this video because it's gonna be so long <laughs> i don't care if they watch it or not do you we had a good time <laughs> there are people that do that they'll tell me well i used to have the comments open i don't anymore but when i had comments open they'd say they watch the career to the end some do so yeah and i'm putting these uh, on um like iHeartRadio and spotify and stuff like that so people will be driving flip around maybe they'll listen to it on the radio on a long trip or something so mm -hmm. all right and you'll let me know where it is being put on what oh you, it'll be you on youtube but the moment um my videos get published first thing i do is send it to my guest so they got it right out of the gate all so right. it should be okay. tonight. I had a lady this morning. I'll put her through first, and then I'll put yours. It should be late tonight, but I'll send it to you as soon as it's available to to uh, your email. And did you have links of website or you want your email? Is there anything you want me to put in the description? You just send it to me. Yes, we can do that. We can do that. Okay. Yeah, because we do have a website. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. That would be wonderful. All right. Oh, anyway. All right. Well, thank you. And hopefully we talk again. Oh, sure. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you.